The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our New Testament reading comes to us from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, starting in verse 14. And when they, Jesus, Peter, John, and James, came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them. O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell to the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. And he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is God's word. It is true. We received for Christmas a Roku stick. A Roku stick comes with what my son has labeled second class cable. You get shows that are not maybe as high quality, but still of some interest to you, right? And as some of you know, me, I am a big fan of game shows. And there's one second class game show that's on our Roku channels called Impossible. And it lives up to his na- its name. Because for an hour of this show, you watch 30 contestants battle each other for this final shot at an impossible question. And I've watched it maybe three, four, five times. But I have yet to see someone win impossible. I don't watch it anymore. Because who wants to experience over and over again, round after hour long round of people moving forward only to lose it all in the end? Done. But the second class game show called Impossible. It's a window into our life with God. 
as this gospel account in Mark 9 is a window as well. We all have areas in our life. Areas where we believe impossible is how it's always going to be. It will always be this way. It's always been this way. And it will never change. Impossible people who you believe will never change. Impossible circumstances which you believe are never going to let up. Even impossible prayers that you've just stopped praying because you believe they're never going to be answered. Look for the word always or never in your vocabulary and you might see where you're believing the impossible. He always thinks only of himself. She never listens to me when I talk. I can never seem to get ahead. I will never be married. There is no way I'd ever be able to get out of this mess. I've asked God to take the problem away or help this person or heal this disorder I have. And all I hear is silence. Impossible people, impossible problems, impossible prayers. Today's passage in Mark is here to show us that the problem of believing the impossible is a problem rooted deep within us. And it's a problem God himself actually wants us to experience. He wants us to come face to face with impossible situations. You see this throughout the scriptures, don't you? Samson, he was a womanizer and he was a power hungry judge. He's an impossible person. He was included in the hall of faith. (laughs) Impossible, unqualified Samson was used by God. Israel, the people of God, do you remember the story of Exodus? When they're standing in front of a dead-end Red Sea, while armies are coming behind them from Pharaoh, ready to annihilate them. We're standing in front of water. Impossible, unresolved problems solved by God. A man named Abram, whose name means father, whose wife and him are in their late 90s without children and probably never going to be able to have children. Impossible, unanswered prayers. Why can't we have kids? Answered by God that his name would be changed to Abraham, which means father of many few verses prior to this passage, Jesus has raised the bar of following him. The disciples have declared him as the one from God, the Christ who will save the people of God. And immediately following that declaration, Jesus says something to them that would sound completely impossible. The Christ must suffer. The Christ must be rejected. The Christ must be killed. And the Christ must rise again. Peter says, impossible. And Jesus rebukes him like he's calling out a demon. And Jesus then turns to anyone who even considers to follow Jesus and says to them, you got to do likewise. Deny yourself and grab a cross. That's where I'm headed. Friends, if we're honest... This is not in our bag of possibilities in the life of following Jesus. That instead of life getting easier when you follow Jesus, it's actually going to be the reverse. 
It's going to get harder. It's actually going to feel sometimes impossible. Suffering is going to become greater. Understanding of your sin is going to grow. Your inabilities are going to become so much more obvious to you. The reminders that you don't have it all together are going to be regular. Three people in this story of Mark 9, three supporting cast members throughout Mark are facing impossible in this passage. The religious leaders, a crowd member, and the disciples. Why are they and why are we confronted regularly by God with impossible scenarios? To give first aid to our faith. That every, every impossibility be brought in faith to an all things are possible Jesus. Nothing is impossible for Jesus. And so we have to bring every impossibility to him. What are the impossibilities that this passage is calling us to bring to Jesus? The first one is this. Jesus is calling us to bring to him our unqualified selves. We see this in verses 14 to 19. Jesus and his inner three are returning from a mountain of glory. And there's a battle going on between two groups as they're coming upon the scene. There's a battle between the disciples and the scribes. A father has brought to Jesus through his disciples, his son, who is clearly a demonic spirit that's made his son's life miserable. And to make matters worse, the disciples can't take care of the problem. They try an exorcism and it doesn't work. It doesn't take. And there standing around them are the scribes. Who are the scribes, you might ask? There are those who are charged with the religious bookkeeping of the day, keeping the minutes of what's going on in the life of God's people. And guess what they're writing down as they're watching Jesus' disciples incompetent, unable to perform an exorcism. What are they writing down? (laughs) Jesus can't do this, nor can his disciples. Can you imagine, just for a second, being in the disciples' shoes? We pray, get out! In Jesus' name, get out! Nothing, nothing happened. Get out! I'll get louder, louder! I'll say it louder! Nothing. Let's get softer. Nothing. And the scribes must be mocking. Who do you think you are? You can't do this. You are not qualified to handle the spiritual religious issues of the day. See how Jesus protects his unqualified disciples. He steps between the scribes and the disciples and he asks, What are you, scribes, arguing with them about? And the father of the demon-possessed man he, he tries to be Wisconsin nice, it seems, and take some heat off the situation. Um, I, I started all of this. You know, this is my bad. I, I did this. This is my fault. Let me help clear the tension. But look at verse 19 and how Jesus responds. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? He's not talking to the disciples here. He's not even talking to the father. 
Do you see who he's talking to? He's talking to them, the scribes, in utter frustration. The scribes who believe they are qualified in assessing the things of God. What does he call them? He calls them faithless. Those who are supposed to be leading the charge of faith, he calls faithless. Jesus gets fed up. I love that Jesus gets fed up. And he gets fed up with people who refuse to believe he's qualified. Friends, we need to look at this and see that apart from Jesus, we are unqualified in our sin. We are disqualified in our sin. The only qualification, the only standing we have before God himself is Jesus's qualification. Jesus puts his disciples in this impossible pickle to remind them and to remind us of where we would be without Jesus. Our qualifications between us and God must come through faith in Jesus. Otherwise, it's impossible to please God. Impossible. This week, Olympic figure skater Camilla Valieva tested positive for a banned substance found in her body, a performance-enhancing drug. And she's possibly going to be disqualified and have her medal stripped from her for a substance that was found inside of her. Despite this flawless performance on the outside, quadruple axle, what was in her was found to prove her performance unacceptable. Friends, that's the religious of the day. That's the scribes. That's the this generation Jesus is speaking to. Who clean the outside, their performance, but inside are filled with a Jesus-less performance-enhancing sin. And Jesus is frustrated. He's just fed up with their religion, their rule-keeping performance, because it's impossible to qualify themselves before God without him. What does it look like then for us to bring ourselves, unqualified people, to Jesus? It means first this, admitting to God, it is impossible to clean myself up. Preaching to yourself and to God, Romans 7. I do what I do not want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. I want to help someone, but instead I hurt them. I want to represent Jesus and his love to my kids, and instead I bark and I break them instead. I want to lead people to Jesus, but my words seem to have no impact on their heart or their soul. Friends, see that you are unqualified without Jesus. See that it is impossible to do anything without Jesus. See that there is no power you have in and of yourself to do anything for God without God, without Jesus. Let him stand between your unqualified self and even the scribes, the enemies mocking you, saying you're pathetic. Let him say, have faith in me. Trust in me. I alone make it possible that an unqualified person like you can be qualified before God. You can't do this without me. Bring your unqualified self to Christ. Second impossibility we're called to bring to Jesus is our unresolved problems. You see this in verses 20 to 24. Jesus calls the man, bring your son to me. And as soon as the boy arrives, the evil spirit that's within him, standing in the presence of Christ's qualifications, starts flipping out and sending the boy on the ground. He's rolling around and he's foaming at the mouth. It's worth noting, as I was studying this passage, that the verb used for falling on the ground is primarily used for serpents crawling around on the ground. 
evil takes its rightful position before the qualified Christ. And Jesus asks the dad, how long has this been going on for him? Why is this important for the dad to answer? Because this is a problem that has historically had no solution. It is unresolved. I'm sure the dad taken him to a rabbi, taken him to a doctor, taken him to a priest, maybe even taken him to a snake oil salesman. Anyone to give my son life again. It's a wonder his son is even still alive as he's trying to off himself, cut himself, suicidal to end the suffering. Jesus asked this question of the father, how long? So that we can see that the problem of evil residing in us, our disqualification, has not been around just for a little while. It's been around even before childhood, even before we were born. This impossible, unresolved problem of sin and evil residing in us has not yet found a cure. Hear the Father's last-ditch desperation. If you can do anything, if you can do anything, be merciful to us, please. Just stop. Please help us if you can. Here's a guy who's been disappointed so many times before. Here's a guy who's had promises made by priests or rabbis. Nothing's happened. Problem's still here. But I want to ask you, what is the unresolved problem Jesus wants us to see here? Is it the demon-possessed boy? No. The unresolved problem is not the son. The problem here is with the father. It's his faith that's the problem. He's not sure he believes Jesus can do something about this. And Jesus shockingly says in verse 23, literally, Oh, the if you can. Oh, the if you can. Of course I can. All things are possible for the one who has faith in me. And the impossible unresolved problem of the father's faith is made possible by Jesus as his eyes are opened and the father cries out over the screaming of his writhing son on the ground. I believe. Come to the aid. Help my unbelief. Another show on our second class cable is called Dr. G Medical Examiner. And the show's premise is that this medical examining doc is given these seemingly obvious cases for death and has to do autopsies and, sh- and shockingly finds out that the problem wasn't what they originally thought it was. A heart attack was actually an allergic reaction. A collision was actually a blood clot. That's what's happening in this story. The focus on this story is not the flailing sun on the ground, but the floundering faith of his father. When I say to you, what is the significant unresolved problem in each of your life right now? How might you answer it? You might list for me an illness, a troubled child, a fractured marriage, a lonely single existence, low self-confidence, anger issues, a jerk of a coworker. you're financially strapped. What if I said, hidden underneath each of those problems is a problem of your faith. Your trust that Jesus could do something about any of that. Not that he will, but that he could. 
so that if the problem you name doesn't ever change, your faith in him can still change. Jesus could get you out of that relationship or into that relationship. He could cause you to win the lottery. He could heal you in an instant. And knowing that, that in, all, that in him all things are possible, it helps our faith to say, like we saw in Paul's testimony, even if you don't resolve this problem, make me more resolved to trust you. Come to the aid of not so much my obvious problems, but come to the aid of the underlying problem in my heart, the problem of unbelief. Jesus, help me trust you more. Friends, as we pray that he actually may increase the problems so that your faith may have an opportunity to be increased as well. We're called to bring our unqualified selves to Jesus. We're called to bring our unresolved problems to Jesus. And the final impossibility we're called to bring is our unanswered prayers. Look with me at verses 25 to 29. Jesus sees the crowd growing. And that's not a good thing. He knows it's time to move. The crowd has an expectation of him to solve their unresolved social problems. But he's not interested in that. Because they're not interested in faith in him. He knows that if him and the disciples don't move quickly, they're going to force him to be king. Maybe even make a spectacle of that healed boy by making him their poster child for a political campaign for Jesus Caesar. And with a word of all things possible power, Jesus orders the spirit out of that boy. It's a battle between good and evil as the demonic spirit stubborn to leave him. And it takes every ounce of energy out of that boy that he's laying there flat. And the crowd actually probably starts turning on Jesus and snickering. He just killed that kid. But Jesus, maybe even smiling or winking at the father's newfound faith, takes the boy by the hand and resurrects him to new life again. The disciples and him head indoors, close the door from the crowd. And Jesus' disciples ask, what, what gives, Jesus? Why couldn't we do what you just did? And he responds, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What, what does that mean? What is that about? I'm not sure the disciples got the answer they were looking for until later. Until death, until resurrection, until ascension, until the Holy Spirit, through the work of Jesus, would be theirs. Because I'm sure at the original attempt to heal this boy, the disciples were probably praying, right? How could one of them not be praying? So what is Jesus meaning? This can only come out through prayer. What Jesus is saying here is that there is a powerful force of darkness that cannot be overcome except by Jesus alone. How do we typically end our prayers when we pray? In Jesus' name. But do we understand why? We attach those words to our prayers not to sound holy, but to enact power. 
When we do, we are calling upon the dying, rising, and ascending power of King Jesus to do what none of us can do. In Jesus' name, take on evil, sin, death, and guess what? You win. You are the only qualified one who perfectly live in Jesus' name. We pray your qualification on this. You are the only faithful one who willingly died to forgive us and deal with sin. We pray with your resolution in mind. You are the only one who responded to death with new life. We pray in Jesus' name, your power, your resurrection on this. Hear me saying, not this. Jesus' name, praying in Jesus' name is not a good luck charm. It's not a magic formula to get everything you want in life. I'm saying that praying in Jesus' name is the only possible solution to anything that can promise to bring you back to life. What unanswered prayers remain for you today? I just want you to take heart that every one of them has been answered in Jesus' name. As Tim Keller puts it, it's either been answered in the way that you prayed Or it's been answered in the way you would have prayed if you knew everything that Jesus knew. Jesus waited to heal this boy until he was present. So that he could bring this father's faith to life. And his son would be, the father's son would be an illustration of that. Your faith in me, Jesus in essence says to the father, has made both you well And him well. As I lift him up, I'm lifting you back up to life. I've come to the aid of your unbelief. Watch this. The impossibility of death ever being conquered has been answered in Jesus' name. I have come that they may have life and life abundantly. Whatever personal disqualifications we all have, whatever problem you have right now that you have yet to see resolved, take it to the one who's able to make the most impossible thing, resurrection from the dead, possible. Pray in Jesus' mighty, powerful, forgiving, death-defying, sitting on a throne in heaven, name and watch heaven and earth move. Just close with this. About a year and a half ago, I sat by the bedside of a friend uh, who just had a few more days to live. And whose mind had been hijacked by Alzheimer's. She was nearing her end. And there had been a lot of prayers for her. Prayers that God would just spare her personally from this kind of suffering. Those prayers were certainly prayed. And the prayers that this impossible problem of Alzheimer's disease, man, find a solution, find a medication so that she doesn't have to deal with this, wasn't solved. But as we prayed with her, Psalm 121, which says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And as I close the prayer in Jesus' name, Everyone's faith in that room was helped. As the woman who hadn't spoken a word for many days and many weeks and maybe many months shouted her faith louder than any of us could imagine possible as she said, Amen! (laughs) Nothing is impossible for Jesus. 
Let us bring our little or our large faith to him. Bring every single impossibility to him, believing he alone is able. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray in your son's name. We pray to our father because you know your son. And we come with access to you through him. Not through anything we've done. Not through any of our qualifications. We pray in Jesus' name to you, Father. And we call you, Father, because the Son made it so. He adopted us. Thank you, Father, for qualifying unqualified sinners like us. And Father, thank you for resolving the problem of our unbelief, of our doubt, of our questions that you could even do anything. Thank you for opening our eyes to see that, Jesus, you are able to raise our souls from the dead. Help us in our unbelief, in whatever unresolved problems we are facing today, that we would continue to call upon you to help and come to the aid of places of unbelief. Restore and strengthen our faith. And Father, lastly, there are prayers that we have prayed that we have not seen answers to, remind us that as we pray in Jesus' name, you answer every single prayer. Not even as we can see them answered, but as you answer them with everything that you can see. Help our prayers be with more confidence that when those words are used, we are declaring the highest power possible to work in them. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen.